Still riding high on the wave of conservatism from last week's CPAC, conservatives across this nation and some around the world are congratulating themselves on another fine conference, of which its theme was Where Globalism Goes to Die. Now, as an organization that was steadily and viciously attacked by one of CPAC's founders over our stance on globalism and conspiracy, we wonder just how genuine is this apparent about face. So today, we'll look back into history to give you the particulars in this episode of Analysis Behind the News, including answering the question that if the John Birch Society was thrown out of respectable conservatism, as the establishment narrative inaccurately claims, why would CPAC seemingly adopt our stance against globalism? If you're concerned about American independence and freedom, then please watch and take the recommended actions. Also, be sure to like, subscribe, and share so we can break through big tech censorship and reach many others. CPAC, the annual gathering of conservatives, has seen the John Birch Society host a booth less than a handful of times. In 2010 and 2011, the JBS became a sponsor of the conference, which allowed us access into its planning. Now, a few of our staff attended regular committee telemeetings uh, created with additional sponsors and CPAC staff. <laughs> the ideas that we suggested were summarily dismissed, and it was obvious that they already had their plan and were not going to listen to our input. Our attendance at those two annual conferences brought a huge amount of negative publicity to CPAC and the John Birch Society. One of the largest examples was Rachel Maddow, who had visited the booth and featured JBS on her show for a couple of nights as JBS staff corrected her many inaccuracies. We published them onto our site and then she responded to them during her show. While negative publicity can frequently do more harm than good, well, the John Birch Society has a long history of being smeared in the media and the organization has seen that even negative publicity helps to drive traffic to us. Now, these were the days when Dr. Ron Paul and his Campaign for Liberty supporters were popular and very helpful to the overall movement. And they had a fairly significant presence at CPAC. The GBS staff had many great conversations with CPAC attendees and met with many new people, while at the same time also helped to clear up plenty of confusion and inaccuracies about GBS. Yet, you could sense friction between the establishment Republicans that historically ran CPAC and those more focused on liberty, freedom, and obeying the Constitution. This was confirmed at the 2011 CPAC by a member of its own board. While at the booth, a member of the American Conservative Union, which runs CPAC, introduced himself and said he was very happy that JBS was able to be at CPAC. Then, he said that he was the only one on the board to feel that way. Shortly after the conference was completed, there was a change in CPAC leadership. And we soon read in the media that JBS, as a sponsoring organization, was no longer welcome at CPAC, although individual members could attend. Eventually, we received an email and written letter stating this, although an explanation was not offered. At the 2011 CPAC, we had promoted a book that explains the history as to why JBS was allegedly thrown out of respectable conservatism, again, as the establishment narrative likes to claim. That book is William F. Buckley Jr., Pied Piper for the Establishment, written by former JBS President John F. McManus. In the book, 
The foreword was from previously unpublished work by JBS founder Robert Welch. It is titled, False Leadership, an Uncompleted 1971 Assessment of William F. Buckley, Jr. Mr. Welch gave two examples of Mr. Buckley sabotaging anti-communists for their views on a global conspiracy working to end the American experiment of freedom. One of these examples happened to Mr. Welch on Easter Sunday, 1960. Mr. Welch had been invited to give his look at the score speech that documented the post-World War II advance of communism as proof that the international communist conspiracy was alive and well, even after freedom supposedly won the war. Mr. Welch published this in the first 30 pages of the Blue Book of the John Birch Society, which is still available today. In the article, Mr. Welch pointed out that the church where the speech was to be held was the very church that Mr. Buckley was a member. As Mr. Welch explained, Mr. Buckley invited himself in and began to mold the whole program for the evening to his liking, including convincing the planning committee that he be a second speaker and insisted on speaking last. Mr. Buckley said his speech was to be on the Democratic National Convention but that was not to be the case. As Mr. Welch wrote, Mr. Buckley had been busily scratching away on the sheets of paper held by the clipboard on his knee all of the time I was speaking. For Buckley proceeded from the very beginning and for the whole half hour allotted to him simply to tear my speech to pieces or to try to, primarily with the weapons of sarcasm and ridicule, there was no conspiracy, and to believe that there was belonged in the realm of childish fantasy. To believe that the subjugation of various countries, which I had outlined, was accomplished by conspiracy and cunning, except as the populations of those countries had been sold by propaganda and deception on the ideological fallacies of socialism, was nonsense. One great problem for the real conservatives everywhere, who were trying so hard to stop this socialist advance by out-arguing the proponents of collectivism, was the distortion of everything by ignoramuses like myself who saw communists and conspirators under every bed. To hold that high officials of the United States government had been consciously involved in helping the communists to impose their philosophy on China or any other nation was an almost criminal misinterpretation of their acts and their purposes. He finished with a resoundingly virtuous declaration that he repudiated everything Mr. Welsh had said and all the views Mr. Welch had expressed, and on that note, he sat down. At the same time, it seems Mr. Welch attributed the whole event to a spat among friends. But, as he pieced together later, Mr. Buckley's action had been a compulsive necessity under the circumstances. It was Mr. Buckley's chosen course to fight the collectivists only and entirely on ideological grounds. As Mr. Welch explained, this is exactly what the communists want, and they will go to any length and even subsidize their opposition to present the struggle which engulfs the world today between freedom and slavery as a battle between two opposing philosophies. In other words, the communists favor debating societies instead of real action that derails their true agenda. And as demonstrated by his actions throughout his lifetime, Mr. Buckley was only too willing to oblige them. In his book, Mr. McManus wrote, Buckley's deficient leadership had surfaced years earlier. 
1971, the United Nations General Assembly expelled nationalist China, Taiwan, and awarded its place in the world body to the blood-drenched Beijing regime. UN delegates literally danced in the aisles to celebrate this long-sought-after communist victory. As sentiment in the U.S. to withdraw from the world body increased, Buckley advised in a November 1971 column that the United Nations has its uses and the United States would be mistaken recklessly to withdraw from it. Instead, he recommended refraining from casting any further votes in the General Assembly, as if that would accomplish anything of substance. Mr. McManus further concluded that Mr. Buckley had subjected the principles of conservatism to a watering-down process that redefined them in a way that bolstered the agenda of the nation's ruling establishment. The embrace of the Republican establishment of neoconservatism was largely seen as the conservatism of the likes of John Boehner, Paul Ryan, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, Newt Gingrich, John McCain, Lindsey Graham, and Kevin McCarthy. Mr. McManus summarized that the result was a decided turn away from limited government under the Constitution, away from non-intervention in the world's conflicts, toward more New Deal socialism and global cop militarism. As Mr. McManus further pointed out, rather than leading the resistance to this transformation, Buckley has worked to bring it about. One of the longtime leading think tanks of globalism has been the Council on Foreign Relations, or CFR. Their influence on presidential administrations has been substantial for the better part of 70-plus years. Their members make up a large role in the leadership of these administrations, with only one exception. Under President Trump, the number of members in his administration dropped, which is something not seen before. Mr. Buckley proudly joined the CFR in 1974, publicly announcing it in National Review. As the book documents, in 1975, retired U.S. Navy Admiral Chester Ward, a former CFR member, said that the CFR's goal had long been the submergence of U.S. sovereignty and national independence into an all-powerful one-world government. He claimed that this lust to surrender the sovereignty and independence of the United States is pervasive throughout most of the membership. This membership, claimed Richard Harwood in his October 1993 article in the Washington Post titled Ruling Class Journalist, is the nearest thing we have to a ruling establishment in the United States. Mr. McManus said Mr. Buckley's attack on Mr. Welch expanded to a frontal assault in 1961 by publishing a six-page editorial called The Question of Robert Welch, in which Mr. Buckley distorted Mr. Welch's stance on major issues. By 1965, he targeted the John Birch Society, even though Mr. Buckley's mother and his sister were early members of the society. Mr. McManus concluded, when I joined the John Birch Society, I was still puzzled as to why William F. Buckley would attack such a worthwhile organization. It took me many years to conclude that Buckley knew exactly what he was doing. He attacked the JBS not because of its weaknesses, but because of its strengths. He attacked it because it stood in the way of the internationalism and statism he was ushering in from the right. He attacked it because it offered a genuine alternative to the controlled debate 
provided by establishment liberals and conservatives. That controlled debate presents Americans with lose-lose choices that will lead ultimately to total government and world government. Yet now, the American Conservative Union that Mr. Buckley helped to found and that is in charge of CPAC is suggesting that it is where globalism goes to die. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there is rhetoric and there is record. Certainly, many of the speakers from this year's conference have the record to back them up. The president of El Salvador spoke at CPAC, and as the New American reported last month, murders in El Salvador are down by 70%. The president of Argentina also spoke. In his first days in office, he followed through on his campaign promise of cutting government by firing 5,000 government workers. Nigel Farage, the architect of Brexit, spoke, as did Congressman Matt Gates, who in his speech repeated the longtime JBS mantra of get us out of the United Nations and get the United Nations out of the U.S. His constitutional adherence score for this congressional term is 95%. At the JBS and New American booths, we interviewed many solid elected officials working to restore individual rights and freedom, not just in this country, but in others too, including from Romania. We interviewed many liberty-focused activists that bring solid records, including Dr. Ryan Cole, Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Pierre Corey, and Mike Lindell. Certainly, there were others that didn't fit this bill that also spoke at CPAC. But within the last two years, we have seen a much more inviting atmosphere for those of us exposing globalism and working to stop its agenda. Now, we at the John Birch Society hope that this is a genuine path and wish CPAC and the American Conservative Union well. We stand ready to help provide educational material support and guidance if and when asked. We hope that moving forward, CPAC's record reflects one of exposing the globalists and their conspiratorial partners in their move to install world government under the new world order. If one does not consider the element of conspiracy, then as Mr. Welch said, that's exactly what the conspirators want. Ignoring that element allows them to work undetected and unexposed toward their goal of ending the American experiment of freedom. The John Birch Society has opposed globalism, internationalism, and the communist conspiracy for more than 65 years. Our longtime educational campaigns of getting the U.S. out of the United Nations and support your local police and keep them independent are integral programs to stopping the globalist agenda domestically and abroad. The ground game that we bring to the movement is second to none and sets us apart from all other patriotic organizations. If you want to save America, then join the John Birch Society where you will work shoulder to shoulder with other like-minded patriots in your community. Helpful links are located in the video description, including a link to tell Congress to get us out of the United Nations and links to the book and CPAC coverage that we mentioned. I'm Bill Hahn for the John Birch Society. Until next time, learn more and take action.